Sometimes our God does allow things, and sometimes our God says no, but he is the same God, regardless of what path he has called us to take and to take in obedience. Amen. Well, happy Sunday again. And like Pastor Tim said, I am the high school pastor. I am Mitch Tucker, thrilled and humbled to be able to to bring the word here today. So we've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews in our greater series for quite a while now. We're doing something a little bit unique in, in chapter 11. Last week, we talked about what it looks like to have faith to give, and we were encouraged to give of our first fruits and of our, our best, not our, our leftovers, that leftover Thanksgiving plate, right? And today, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have faith to obey. So let's go straight here to, to Hebrews. We're going to spend most of our time in, in Genesis chapter 7, but let's set the scene here. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith." So if we can turn now to, to Genesis, we're actually going to start in, in verse 5, and we're going to go quickly here to, to, uh, uh, to chapter 7, because the first individual we meet is a man named Enoch. Enoch was described as a man who walked with God, and as he put his faith in God, God said, hey, my plan for you is not to experience death here on earth, but I want you to come and to be with me in my presence for all of eternity. We get to the next chapter, we're introduced to a man named Noah. Noah is who we're going to spend our time with in examining his life and his story. And he's, he's also referred to as a man who walked with God. However, God's plan for Noah here on earth was, was much, much different than Enoch. God had a, had a plan. He had uh, something that he wanted him to do and act in obedience over. But really to understand the story of, of Noah and what God is about to call him to do, we have to we have to grasp the moral setting of when Noah lived. So I'm going to read here a few verses from chapter 6 here in Genesis, verse 5. It says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Pretty descriptive of the moral setting in the time of of Noah, that every intention of the thoughts of the hearts of all the people were only evil at all times. And God in his righteous judgment said, I need to, I need to start, uh, start this plan. I need to, almost kind of a, of a reset. And in my righteous judgment, I'm going to blot out, I'm going to take away life. However, I'm going to save Noah. Noah has put his faith in me. He stands out in this evil world. So as we continue to follow the story, God's plan and his word to Noah is, is crystal clear. He says, Noah... I'm going to have it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And there's going to be a a flood, and I'm going to blot out all life, animals and men 
and women. However, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you and your family, your wife and your three sons and, and their wives. And I'm going to save two of each kind of, of animal that, that walks on the earth and crawls on the earth or flies above the earth. And I'm going to save you and your family. So we see here, the word of God has been, is, is clear to Noah. And now we see his reaction a couple times. We're in verse 22 now of chapter 6. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. A few verses down, it says, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So the scene is set. The word of God is clear. Noah has responded by faith and in whose obedience. And that's when we get to our first of two points here today. Here's point number one. Trust God. In all his wisdom and timing, no matter what the world thinks. All right, chapter 7, we're starting in verse 11. It says this, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So Noah, he's going to live to be 950 years old. But when he's 600, and it, I'll be honest, it's, it's hard for us to, to, to know how that feels. Right? I'm 41 and my, my back hurts. I don't know what it feels like at, at 600. Um, we put some pieces together. Um, the best guess is it took Noah about 100 to 120 years to make all the preparations to build the ark, to gather the animals, to gather all of the food, to gather all of the drinking water, all the things that he had to do prepare for this flood over a century. But now when he's 600 years old, and it says on the, the second month, on the 17th day, now we don't know what, what that day is on, on our calendar, but God had a very, very specific day, right? Everyone say God has a plan. God has a plan. He knows the exact day that he's going to bring the rain. So the 600th year, Noah enters the ark, and it says that all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. I don't really know what this looks like, to be honest. This is a once in a creation type of storm, type of rainstorm, type of flood. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what was the, what's the worst rainstorm that you've ever been in? And I want to encourage you to, to think of a rainstorm that, that maybe you were actually, you were outside in the elements. Maybe you were driving in it. Uh, for me, um, my wife Sarah, she was a bridesmaid in a wedding in New Orleans uh, two weeks before Hurricane Katrina. And I remember driving uh, as we got uh, close to New Orleans, and I'm going to call it like a pre-storm, right? So we're in uh, the most torrential downpour that I've ever been in, and I'm, and I'm driving, right? And if you've ever driven down to New Orleans, there is no shoulder. The shoulder is the delta of the, uh, the Mississippi River. Okay? There's traffic behind you, so you can't stop, and your windshield wipers are going so crazy. However, and I know a lot of you drivers have been, have been there before, your windshield wipers are going as fast as they possibly can, but they're not keeping up. You can't see in front of you, you can't stop because someone's behind you, you can't pull off to the side, and you just grip the steering wheel, and you pray, and you hope that you signed your will, right? <laughs> so that's me, but what about you? What's the, the, the most torrential downpour that you've ever been in? I want you to think about it. You got it? All right, now I want you to say this. Not that. It wasn't that. 
Now, you, have, you may have been in a situation where there, there is a panic. You're gripping onto that, that, that steering wheel. It's not that. It's not anywhere close. We have that expression of it's raining buckets, right? Well, it's raining heaven-sized buckets in, in, this, in this storm. It's a once in a creation storm that happened once and is never going to happen again because God promised that. But the rain is just coming down. And it is complete mayhem and chaos outside the ark. But inside the ark, verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Everyone say God has a plan. God has a plan, and his plan was to protect Noah. And just as he promised Noah before he built that ark, he continues in his faithfulness. And as they enter the ark, Noah brings his wife. He brings his three sons. He brings their wives as well. He brings all the animals that he's gathered, two by two, male and female. Animals that, that walk on the ground, that crawl on the ground, that fly above the ground and need the land uh, to rest and find food. They're all gathered. They all entered the ark and then we get to this last line here in verse 16. It's one of the, the biggest keys here. It says, and the Lord shut him in. It wasn't Noah. It wasn't one of his sons. The Lord closed the doors. That last moment of, of encouragement and peace to Noah from the Lord because God's been the same God, the same consistent and faithful God at the very beginning when he's, his word is clear. He's with Noah as he's building the ark and doing all the preparations. He's with Noah as he enters the ark. And he's also with Noah and his family as the doors close and the rain starts. You know, these last handful of weeks, I've been spending a lot of time um, thinking about what it looks like to have faith to obey. And to be honest, there's, there's probably a lot of things that we can start to, to list down, but um, I boiled it down to, to three things, right? Here's three things of what it looks like to have faith to obey. Here's number one. Listening to God over the noise of the world. Listening to God over the noise of the world. Now we know that the heart uh, of, of men and women at that time of, of Noah, and I'm, my best guess is uh, they're a little bit like um, our society today, and that we love to give our opinions on things because we think our opinion's right. And if you differ, your opinion's wrong. And so if it took 100 to 120 years for Noah to, to build this ark, there is ample time, right, for humanity to come across Noah and his family and start to ridicule them, start to share their opinions because 
they understand the ways of the world. They understand what's going on. They, they know what truth is. And so, Noah, let me tell you where you're wrong. Because, Noah, I think you're, you're wasting your time. It doesn't rain here. It doesn't rain here. And if it does rain, it's not going to rain the, the, the type of amount that you think it's going to rain. You're wasting your time, Noah. You're wasting your family's time. As your daughter-in-laws are coming in, you're, you're bringing other families in, into that, and at least their daughters. You're wasting their time. You're corrupting your whole entire family. You're wasting resources. You're wasting money. You're wasting wood. This is pointless. Noah, you're nuts. And if you're doing these things because you're acting upon what you've heard from your God, well then, your God is nuts too. Well, Noah, in, as the author of Hebrews says, in reverent fear, listens to God over the noise of the world. That's number one. Number two, faith and obedience, or obedience acted out in our faith, many times requires action. Requires action. And we know that the action that, that, that Noah was, was asked to be obedient, to, to build an ark, to prepare uh, perhaps there's many in this room that we're excited about being called and being obedient to serve at VBS these next four days. But perhaps the, um, the, the, the action is you're being called to, to go and have a difficult conversation with someone that you don't want to have. Maybe you're called to, to being obedient that um, the Lord has opened up some opportunities and he wants you to, to bring the gospel to someone. He wants, to, wants you to introduce someone to Jesus Christ. That a lot of times there is a call to action. That's number two. And number three, it sounds a little bit goofy, knowing that number two it has to do with action. But number three is this. You read the narrative of Noah, and a lot of times faith to obey requires patience. There's a whole lot of waiting, right? God is very clear of his, his plans to Noah, I'll be honest, most of the time, Noah's just kind of waiting. It takes them 100 to 120 years to get all the preparations correct and, and right to get to the point where God says, okay, it's time. He actually enters the ark with his family, with all the animals. God shuts them in, and it doesn't rain right away. He actually has to wait seven whole days. He's inside the ark. I'm like, was it coming? God has a very specific plan, though. His timing is a lot of times different than us. So a lot of times we are called in our obedience just to wait and to wait well on whatever the Lord is calling us to step into next. But perhaps today it would be maybe, maybe helpful to have a little bit of a visual of what this looks like uh, to be called into something and the world says, I'm confused, this seems pointless. So last month, 54 high schoolers and a handful of their, their volunteers went on a mission trip to eastern Kentucky. I want to talk a little bit more about it, but we put a little video uh, together, so go ahead and uh, watch the screen.
All right. Church, I'm going to be completely honest. Through uh, the filter of the, the world's eyes, that doesn't make any sense. We were there for, uh, for six days, and every single day uh, we had an excessive heat warning. I was on my, my weather app, and there were, were um, giant exclamation points all over saying, hey, if you're going to be outside, be outside for about five minutes, and then return to air conditioning as soon as possible. Well, we were doing hard physical labor. There was no air conditioning. And through the world's eyes, that, 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 does, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would you work hard for no pay? In fact, actually all of these high schoolers, not only did they not get paid for their hard work, but they actually paid hundreds of dollars themselves to be able to go and serve. And through the world's eyes, it doesn't make sense to put on VBS for four straight days to people you've never met. You don't know, you're not related to, you don't live near, they're complete strangers. It doesn't make any sense. However, if, if we sat down with any of those 54 individuals, and you ask them the question, was it worth it? They'd all look at you with this look of, you're nuts, of course it was worth it. Oh, that was an awesome, life-changing experience. We got to serve Jesus in an amazing and a powerful, in a very useful way. The name of Jesus Christ was lifted high. We got to proclaim the gospel to dozens of kids. And then we got to see with our own eyes, five sweet little kiddos put their trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. So almost every single day we, we had a student that the, um, the, the heat got the better of. Um, they didn't feel well. Um, some of them are puking. Um, one of them, I'll tell you the story. Uh, I, was, I was on on the phone with this family because yeah, it had been going on for a while. <laughs> and we're trying to figure out if, if the family needed to come and, and, and pick him up. I'm sitting right next to him. He's on his bed, trash can right in front of him. He looks up to me and he goes, Mitch, white face. <laughs> he goes, uh, I, I might puke some more but I ain't going anywhere. Isn't that awesome? He got better, by the way. Um, but that doesn't make any sense to the world. Why would you do that? Why would you serve that way? Why would you be obedient to that calling? But God changes everything. His purpose, His plan, His glory. So church, what is he calling you to obey him in right now? What's he calling you to act? Or maybe you know exactly what he's calling you to obey in, and maybe it's now a season of waiting. I want you to think about that as we transition to our second and our final point here today. Point number two, remain strong in him, even as the pressures and threats Increase. We're in verse 17. says, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. How many days? 40. Just as God had said, the waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above 
the earth. So it, it probably you know, started somewhere around sea level, we'll say it that way, and now it's, it's just kind of floating up above, all right? It's kind of floating above the waters at a high elevation. Now I'm going to read the next three verses, all right? And I want you to, to uh, uh, pinpoint, there's a phrase that's going to be repeated three times. Let's see what the emphasis is going to be placed upon. It says, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole ever recovered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. What's the emphasis in these three verses? The water prevailed. It's scary outside that ark. Those waters are dominating. If there was a contest between the land and the water, God made sure that it was crystal clear that the water won. The waters were prevailing. The waters were were dominating. It was dangerous outside the ark. The waters were prevailing. And not only the waters outside the ark, verse 21, it says, and all flesh died. That moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Just as God had said, he promised to know us as in my righteous judgment, I am blotting out all life. I'm gathering it up and I am completely removing it from the earth. All of mankind, men and women, all the animals, the animals that walk on the ground, that crawl on the ground, that fly above the ground, that need the land to rest upon and find food is all blotted out. Just as God had told Noah. Our God is faithful to fulfill his promises to the completion. He's faithful in the beginning when he makes it. He's faithful while it's happening in the middle, and he's faithful to bring it to the end. Our God, when he promises, he never is settled just by going halfway or by going most of the way. No, our God, and we cling to him because he is so faithful to complete what he promises to do. But again, that's outside the ark. And it says, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. God protected, God saved, God preserved just as he promised. With Noah and his family, in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. And then verse 24, here's that phrase again. The waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. As we read the text, we're not quite sure how much Noah knew, number-wise, timing-wise, beyond 40 days and 40 nights of rain. We don't really know if he, if he knew what was happening on day 41, day 101, day 300, day 370, because if you continue to read on the story, they were actually in the ark for over a year. One year and 17 days. It says on the second month, on the 27th day of that month, God says, all right, it's time. And opens the doors. Faithful to the very end. 
I'll be honest, if I'm Noah, from day 41 for that, for that next year, I'm starting to think, what, uh, what, what, what am I getting into? He sends out four scouting parties of birds. He sends a raven the first thing, and then he sends doves three separate times. Because he's trying to figure out, well, what's this land going to look like? Are we going to be able to plant crops? What, what, what are fruit-bearing trees going to look like? Did, did, did I pack enough food for my family? Did I pack enough food for, for all of these animals? It's, it's, it's been a year plus now. We started with two rabbits. Now there's 84. Did I do everything correct? Did I follow God to the, to the, to the T? Did I do everything? Uh, are we going to have to relearn what it, what it looks like to live on land? Am I going to be capable of leading my family when that happens? Am I going to know what to do? As we see the fears and the pressure and the anxiety perhaps starting to stir at day 41. What's next? But God. God is with Noah at the beginning, at the end, and after the year and 17 days. And he's still in the one, still the one showing that he's in control as God opens the doors and says, Noah, go ahead and exit you and your family and all the animals. So we spent some time, my wife and I, uh, thinking about our calendar on the second month in the 17th day of the year 2009. Because February 17th, 2009, in the Tucker family, uh, was, was a day of excitement and angst because my beautiful wife, Sarah, uh, was, was going into labor with our second son, Levi. So on the second month, on the 17th day of our calendar, we were driving to St. Luke's Hospital in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Now, uh, Levi actually was not born until about an hour and a half into uh, the next day on, on the 18th. But before we left that hospital, we knew our next year was going to come with a lot of trial and a lot of questions that we did not have the answers to in the moment. Many of you know that my second son, Levi, was born with a birth defect and affected his, his vision. And we were told before we, we left the hospital that uh, we're going to have four years where it's going to be really touch and go. They're going to take the, the, the faulty lenses out of the inside of his eyes, and starting at a month, you're going to learn how to put eye contacts on in both of his eyes, and he's going to, we're going to kind of force him to learn how to see, because if we do nothing, he'll never learn how to see, and he'll be blind for his entire life. And so we went down to the University of Iowa, one of the few places um, that, that, that handled this situation. And we went through that first year. Sarah and I, were, we, were, we were debating if it was either seven or eight surgeries. Uh, we pretty much lived in town at the University of Iowa with countless tests. And then a year after, we have we've gone through surgeries. We still have a lot of questions that we, we don't have the answers to. We're still in the beginning part of that 40-year process. 
And we go for, for one of Levi's checkups, and we found out the week before that we were expecting again. And so towards the, the, uh, the end of the appointment, we, we told our eye doctor at the time, we said, hey, just giving you a heads up, hey, we're, we're expecting uh, again in a handful of months. Uh, we, uh, we fully expect to, to bring this child to you guys, and you guys do all of your testing, and um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where we're at. All right, and doctor said, okay, you know, before you leave, um, we want you to meet with a genetic counselor. Because for that, that, that first year, we were pretty much human pincushions. Uh, we, we were doing a lot of genetic testing. They wanted to know if, uh, if this was the only thing that was, was going to happen with our, our second son, or if there are things that maybe are, are coming that are going to be more uh, difficulties medically and health-wise. Maybe we can, if we know what's coming, we can maybe uh, get out ahead of it. And so we did a lot of genetic testing. So the genetic counselor comes in and sits down, and she, um, she, she lets us, us know uh, what, what they found. And they said, we just want to be real honest with you. There is a, an extremely high probability that the more kids you have, that not only will they have what, what Levi had, but we'll probably have more severe medical things. And a handful of syndromes came up, And a lot of that fear and the unknown started to surface. But then the conversation took a turn that we were not ready for. We were blindsided by this. We, we, we walked into that meeting not, not thinking. This genetic counselor looked at us and, and she said, after we've done all of these, uh, these tests, this is what the data suggests. This is our recommendation to you. You are early on in your pregnancy. And we recommend that you terminate the pregnancy. Blindsided by this, we did, we didn't, we did not walk in, I mean, thinking that that was going to be their end medical professional recommendation to us. Earlier this week, Sarah and I, we, we went out to eat, just, just, just us, um, and we were, we were reminiscing and trying to, trying to remember all these, these details. She remembered a lot more details than I, than I did, um, but I spoke next, and it went something like this. Your professional medical opinion might be that this child is an inconvenience and is an accident and is a source of high medical bills that are already piling up in our life, a source of trial, a source of pain. And if there is an option to take that away, why wouldn't you take it? But let me tell you about our God. Our God does not make mistakes. We don't see this child as an inconvenience 
We're the source of trials or high medical bills. We see this child as a beautiful and precious and priceless gift from a loving and a good God. He has given us a beautiful blessing. And whether or not this child is born with more severe medical things that we've been dealing with for this past year, or if he's completely healthy, we will love him with the exact same amount because he is a precious gift from our God. So our answer is no. Now we fast forward a handful of months in this story. Gabe is born. A few days later, we bring him to the university. They do all their tests. And this one, I remember the details. Our eye doctor comes back and says, all right, I got great news. You just got extremely lucky. You should go take this child's birth date and go play the lottery because you have just won the genetic lottery. Because his eyesight is fine, everything else is checking out. And I stopped her. And I said, doctor, this has nothing to do with luck. And it has everything to do with our all-powerful and loving and good God. And he gets all the credit. Amen. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. It's all him. None of it is luck. Fast forward a little bit more. On the second month, on the 17th day of that month, somehow, some way, we have a fourth child. <laughs> we bring Cole down to the university, and our God doubles down again. Perfect vision, perfect health. Sometimes our God does allow things, and sometimes our God says no, but he is the same God regardless of what path he has called us to take and to take in obedience. So church, I'm going to ask you again, what is God calling you to walk in obedience in? Got it? Now I want you to ask this question. What scares you about that? What are the questions that you don't have answers for? What starts to turn your stomach? What starts to have that anxiety start to paralyze you. And before we leave this room, let's give it all over to the Lord. Band, why don't you guys come up? Let's bring all of this to the Lord, learning how to put our faith in Jesus Christ and our obedience through the trials, through the hardships, through the unanswered questions, because our God is faithful. Would you pray with me, church? Church.